Hey everyone, we're back this week with our new health series called Hormone Happy Hour that I do with Kea Perowit, my dear co-host on the series and co-founder in our business, Bia Wellness. And every Wednesday, Hormone Happy Hour will feature an in-depth interview with a leading women's health expert. Each expert will teach you step-by-step how to eat, think, and move in a way that is designed to help you feel great and create an abundance of energy in your life so you can build your own empire. Empire. Now let's jump into this week's episode. I hope you enjoy it. There's a quote that says, don't believe everything you think. And when I first saw that quote, it blew my mind because I think I spent most of my life or at least my youth believing all of my thoughts. And then I heard somebody else say, choose your thoughts the way that you choose your clothes. And I was like, holy moly, you can choose your thoughts like you can actually decide which thoughts you want to give power to and which ones you don't you know thoughts will come and go it's not saying that you can control every single thing that you think but you can control which is what we talk about in this episode which thoughts you actually give power to so i'm curious yasmin what is your relationship like with your thoughts i love that question Kay, and it's actually something that i think a lot about i think all of us you know i won't say all of us i can talk for myself sometimes we'll get thoughts and sometimes I'll get like some fear-based thoughts, especially if I am not sleeping well or we have a lot going on. And, you know, I'll just give an example. Maybe recently, you know, we're working on so many amazing things at Bia and we're having a new product launch and there's a lot of amazing moving parts. And I will admit there might be sometimes like 20% in the back of my mind that's like, oh gosh, what would happen if the, the shipment doesn't come in time? Oh goodness, what would happen if like the emails aren't sending correctly? Like really silly, silly things that will kind of be in my subconscious. And what I love so much about this interview, and it's a good reminder that Megan gives us is that and you said, you know, we shouldn't always identify with our thoughts. And even though I kind of am aware that okay, these fear based thoughts are happening, I don't think too much about it. And I kind of just go with the flow of it. And really, the stuff that I'm really trying hard to work on specifically is if I get that negative thought, how can I quickly transition to think about a positive thought? So even like as simple as, oh, gosh, what would happen if the shipment doesn't come in time for a new product, you know, what happens if the shipment comes in even earlier? And that sounds so simple, but retraining my brain about not thinking negatively and really thinking in a more abundant, positive mindset is really, truly something that I'm working on all the time, you know, sharing that story in case it's helpful for anyone. But I'm curious, Kaya, with you kind of what's your relationship with your thoughts or maybe your journey that you've had with them? Yeah, it's really fascinating that you said reframing your thoughts because that's something that I'm working on right now actually in EMDR, which is something that we also talk about in this episode that I'm for the first time in my life doing a more formal version of therapy in the form of EMDR. And one thing that my therapist talks about quite a bit is the automatic thought versus what other thought could come up. So for example, for me, if somebody says something that I might take the wrong way, my automatic negative thought is that person doesn't like me or that person doesn't think that I'm competent. And then my therapist has been helping me reframe that and saying, what are some other possibilities? And that's been super powerful because our brain has a negativity bias. So we automatically sometimes assume the worst and just taking the time to sit down and say, well, there's like a hundred other things that could actually be the truth. And so why am I even spending any time on this when I don't really know what the actual truth is? And that's just one example. But what I love about this interview that we have with Megan, who's a dear friend and amazing meditation teacher, is that she teaches us practical ways to get out of fear-based thinking 
using meditation and mindfulness. And if meditation and mindfulness sounds scary to you because you have a picture in your head of what it should look like, Megan is here to dispel all those myths because it could look like so many different things. You could use meditation and mindfulness throughout your day without you know, that picture of sitting in a room quietly with your eyes closed and your legs crossed for hours and hours on end. That is one form of meditation, but there's so many other ones. So we are really excited for this interview. It was totally speaking our language. Megan Monahan is a meditation teacher and an author who is passionate about making meditation accessible and relatable. Her goal is to infuse modern day realness into the all too often esoteric landscape of meditation. Since learning to meditate in 2009 with Deepak Chopra and becoming a Chopra certified instructor, she has taught thousands to meditate through her platform, including me. She works with brands like Lululemon, Unplug Meditation, Netflix, Facebook, and Wonderlust, and works with clients internationally, always bringing her spiritual real talk. Her first book is called Don't Hate Meditate, and it's an amazing resource. She also just launched launched a 21-day meditation course, which is also amazing, and we will link to it in the show notes. She is, again, a very dear friend, an amazing meditation teacher. So if you want to get into meditation, question your fear-based thinking, expand your mindfulness practice, this episode is for you. So let's get into it. So Megan, I'm excited today to talk all things meditation, but if someone who's listening in right now is thinking, God, I hear the word meditation all the time. I don't have time for it or, you know, I don't even need it in my life. What would you tell this person and maybe what would your advice be for them? I think it's so important to recognize that your reason for doing anything more often than not has to do with pacifying some kind of pain point. So I always tell people like you're much more apt to invest your resources, your time, your energy into fixing something that isn't feeling great for you. Some, some level of the spectrum of like, it's excruciating or it could be better. So find whatever that thing is. The great thing about meditation, I call it like the ultimate adaptogen. It will show up anywhere. It can show up in your material life and help things get more balanced there. It can show up within you physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. So find the thing in your life that you want to improve upon, that you want to align more, that you want to balance and tether that to your reason for meditating. I'm the first to admit that meditation feels like sitting and doing nothing. So anchoring it to something tangible and something tangible that's maybe not feeling great is going to be a really great motivator. And it's also something that you will then see an improvement on, which will then affirm, oh, I'm not sitting and doing nothing. And this time that I'm taking away from all of this activity that's drawing my attention is actually worthwhile because I'm not as hung up on my ex, or I actually didn't drink as much last month when I was feeling anxious, or I manifested this new job or right, whatever it is. So find the thing that you're wanting to shift or, or balance or improve in your life and tether that to why you're meditating. That's so fascinating that you said anchoring it onto a pain point because Yasmin and I follow this very popular creator who says, I don't want to meditate because my life is so good. I don't want to I don't want to stir anything up. <laughs> so I always thought that was interesting that he said that. I'm curious from your perspective as somebody who teaches meditation, what do you think when somebody says that? I mean, I, I get it. And, and here's the thing, you know, self-actualizing and constantly questioning who am I and auditing your thoughts and auditing like the story that you're telling yourself. And it's number one, it's work, you know, to be conscious. It's not 
an effortless thing to be awake and aware in the world, especially our world. So there is a fair amount of effort that comes with maintaining that consciousness. And, you know, meditation, I always say is kind of like the the mental workout that helps you build that muscle of awareness so that when you're doing those heavy lifts and navigating the world and navigating our world, which is again, especially heavy right now, it doesn't feel as effortful because you've built this muscle, but it's definitely easier a lot of ways to like be asleep. And, you know, as I say, like press the snooze button on your consciousness. And I also think it's okay to not have every day be filled with personal development work, you know? And if you're, if you're present and in your present, you are loving your life, then that's great. And meditate so that you can continue to love your life. You know, so I never want people to only be meditating when they are in DEFCON 1, right? So it's not about like, oh, things are going terribly wrong. Everything is up in the air. I need to meditate. I'm meditating this week because A, B, and C. So if there is a pain point, that might be what you, again, like anchor your practice around. If there's nothing happening that feels like that pain point, that that moment of like, oh, this is why I need to meditate, then meditate to maintain all of this expansion and beauty and love and and presence and all these things that you're really enjoying, you know? But especially if you're finding it hard to start meditating, I always find that it's easier to look at what it could fix that you would put money and work and time into fixing. I love that because for so long, and listen, I am not a meditator. I would probably classify classify myself as what you just brought up as like the crisis meditator. Like if something's going wrong, I'm like, all right, Kaya, I need to like do therapy. I need to sit there. Like, let me get back. I, I have been pretty consistent with my gratitude journal, but sitting in silence has been very tough for me, but I do do it when things are tough. And, you know, there's some seasons in your life. I know, Megan, we were talking about this before podcast like personally things are going on professionally and as we get older just life gets more complex in the most beautiful of ways that I'm finding myself wanting to lean into it even more and more and what's interesting and I'd love to get your thoughts on this is I think I had this preconceived notion that meditation is like you got to wake up at five in the morning like all those CEOs spend an hour sit there you know but meditation can actually be done in so many different ways so if someone's listening they're like you know what Megan I have kids at home I have a full-time job or I'm just busy in my life like what could be other options for them to really get like tip their toe into it yeah there are so many so many ways to meditate so many types of meditation and I always like to classify you can practice being mindful all day long. Like Kaya can mindfully drink out of her water bottle and like notice the texture of the water bottle in her hands and the way the water tastes and the whole journey of her swallowing that glass or or that drink of water, right? You can mindfully play with your kids. You can mindfully run. You can mindfully drive or, you know, walk your dog, right? Some of the most meditative moments I have every day or when I go for walks with my dog because I'm just there with him and feeling my feet on the concrete and looking at nature and looking at flowers. And that's being really mindful. So you can be mindful all the time. You can also practice meditating, which takes you a little bit deeper into accessing higher levels of consciousness via different brainwave states and things that you can't necessarily get when you are awake and walking around, right? Which is an added benefit and a different benefit. And also with that, that can look like whatever it looks like for your life. So if that's not meditating at 5am, that's not meditating at 5am. Maybe it's meditating after your kids go to school 
before you do what you have to do or after everyone has dinner, you take 10 minutes and step away. So it's really like finding the thing, the amount of time, the practice, the way that it looks sustainable for you. I love that because I think that there is, there's all these different classes of meditation and there are people who are fanatic about their type mm -hmm. to the point where they think it's the only option. I remember communicating with someone they had just gotten back from um, Vipassana, so like a 10-day silent meditation, which has so many benefits for people if it's the right thing in their life. And after that, they are asked to do an hour of meditation in the morning and an hour in the evening. And I had mentioned something to them. I had just done a meditation course with our dear mutual friend, Light Watkins, and it's more based on 20 minutes of meditation in the morning. It's a little bit you know, less restrictive around that. It's transcendental med meditation. And I brought that up to this person and they said, they literally said to me, well, there's no benefit there. You have to do an hour in the morning. You have to do an hour in the evening. And I was like, whoa, yeah. you know, I yeah. think that can be such a turnoff for people who feel that it's overwhelming to start meditating, to hear those types of things, that it has to look a certain way. It has to be a certain way. It has to yeah. be a certain amount of time. And for you to say that, no, it doesn't have to look a certain way. There are so many different options. I think there's a lot of freedom in that. Yeah, and it should be an enjoyable, comfortable practice in your life. You know, I don't have very many things slash, I don't think any at the moment that in my life that I don't enjoy doing or that I haven't gotten around to enjoy doing, right? The things that we don't want to do generally are the things that are the first to go when we feel too busy and overwhelmed and we're all those easily accessible excuses show up. So your meditation should be, should be comfortable. The way you're sitting should be comfortable. Um, how you're practicing it should be comfortable. And it doesn't mean you can't be committed to it. And it doesn't mean you can't say it's my intention to meditate every day, because I know that one of the things I want to balance is being less reactive with my kids, let's say, and being more patient with the people in my life. And so you meditate every day and that's like the intention to be more patient. And that's why you're meditating. And that's what you've connected it to. And if you miss a day, like, guess what? The world is still turning and like the birds are still chirping and like everything's still existing the way that it did before. And you can always meditate the next day. So it's, it, I think there has to be, you know, a commitment, but also a level of comfort and to recognize that this is a practice that you're going to have a relationship with. And, and that relationship will look different in different moments of your life. I love that. And I think for me, like what I've gravitated towards the silent meditations tough. I love guided meditations. Like I, mm -hmm. if I feel inspired and kind of like what you said in the beginning, you go in with a pain point, but you feel good afterwards. And I had that like feedback loop. I'm like, Oh, I really like this. And now in this phase of my life, what I've actually been getting into, and sometimes I'll do this throughout the day, even in five minute increments is breath work. Like I kind of have been a little bit better at being more mindful. Oh, okay. I'm feeling a little bit more overwhelmed. Okay. What tool mm -hmm. can I use? And breath work has been powerful. And I know you've said that, you know, breathing is just such a good way to anchor you back in the present. So I'd love to maybe yeah. hear your thoughts around breath work. Cause I think it could be so powerful for people to do like even starting today. Yeah. You know, your breath, your breath is great for that reason. Your breath is always here. Your body is never like, remember that great breath back yeah. in 98 or future pacing to it, right? Your body is present. Your body is nature. And and there's no, um, there's no rigidity, there's no constriction, none of those things are there. So your breath will always instantly bring you back here. Your breath also has the ability to do things like 
calm and pacify your nervous system, which helps when you're kind of in that future paced setting where you're feeling anxious about something. So not only will it bring you back present moment where generally speaking, the sources of your anxiety and your stress don't necessarily lie. Um, the things that we generally worry about are things that exist in the future, potentially, um, or what we've created in our mind might possibly exist in the future. And, and your breath is always going to be right here. And your breath is also really neutral. So, so many things have the ability to kind of trigger us and activate us and your breath and the sensation of your breath, um, counting your breath, most breath, you know, techniques when it comes to like tools um, involve counting, whether it's like a 16 second breath or a four, seven, eight breath and bringing your mind back here, giving your mind something to focus on like counting is just entering into the chat a lot of neutrality, right? Counting doesn't generally activate or trigger us. Um, resting with the sensation of your breath, like all of those things are very neutral and it just gives you a chance to redirect where your mind is. We all know that someone's saying to us, oh, well, just don't think about that thing. And you're like, I'm really worried about this. Well, just don't think about that, right? And if, you if I told you, you can think about anything in the world except for this one thing, all you're going to do, of course, is think about that one thing. But if you can just redirect where your mind is without making that one thing wrong, then all of a sudden there's a little bit of a pattern interrupt, which I think can be hugely helpful, especially as we're talking about, you know, navigating a big feeling, navigating anxiety, navigating stress. Hey everyone, it's Yasmin here. In 2020, I was struggling with some debilitating health stuff. I just got off birth control and suddenly I had acne, mood swings, breast tenderness, and really painful periods. I tried so many things, but the one thing that worked was something called seed cycling. I know you're probably thinking, seed cycling? What the heck is that? It's a natural way to support your hormones using four specific seeds throughout your cycle. The challenge is that seed cycling can be a little complicated to do and kind of time consuming. So I decided to make an organic seed cycling product that is so easy to use, we make it effortless effortless for anyone to get started today. It's called Bia and it's a super easy way to add something powerful to your diet to support your hormones, regulate your cycle, and bring back balance. To learn more about Bia and join our community with thousands of incredible women all over the world, go to BiaWellness.com and that's spelled B-E-E-Y-A Wellness.com and check out the show notes for our promo code to get $10 off your first purchase. Thanks so much for listening and now let's get back to today's episode. Talking about our thoughts, something that you said on your Instagram that I recently saw was whatever you're thinking about right now is something you're voting on. I thought that was so powerful. Can you talk about what that means? I love, yeah, I ask myself, I'll say that or I'll say to myself, if the thought I was having was a stock that I was buying, would I be happy with what I'm investing in, right? Because everything that you think is like a little piece of energetic equity that you are investing into some potential outcome. And it might be an outcome of how you're feeling. It might be the outcome of a situation in your life. It might be the outcome that turns into what you're buying or saying yes to or dating or choosing, right? Anything in your life, the next choice that you make, the next behavior that you take and everything, everything that you've ever done, said, chosen, started as a thought, every single thing. And so if you can start to audit and bring more discernment in here first, all of a sudden your external world becomes so aligned, so intentional, and you become the architect of what you see around you instead of just 
letting your mind be on the autopilot that most of our minds are, unless we're doing some kind of work like meditation and having the same thoughts over and over, making the same choices over and over, desiring the same things over and right. It's a total conditioned loop that you have the ability to, you know, step away from. You can get off that ride and just by noticing your thoughts, which again is not a casual thing, you know, until I started meditating in my mid twenties, I had no idea that I didn't have to believe every thought I had, right? So like most people are just walking around, believing every thought they have, letting every thought have a turn in the driver's seat. And if I allowed every thought that I had to be in the driver's seat of my life, my life would be a shit show because we all have those thoughts that do not serve us, that do not serve our relationships, that don't serve our bank account, that don't serve our job, right? We all have those conditioned thoughts that we have carried into adulthood. So if you can start to practice noticing what you're thinking about, then all of a sudden it just becomes a choice. And you can say, do I want this thought to have power in my life? And then all of a sudden, when you have that one thought that definitely you do not want to have power in your life, you can question it and you can say, huh, okay, what do I want to do with this thought? Is there anything that I can learn from this thought? Do I just want to redirect my mind and focus on something else right now? And you'd be surprised at how quickly doing that will completely shift what you see around you. Yeah, I love that. I think it's that we were talking about it earlier this week that I that quote is like, who am I without this thought or who am I without this story is so yeah. powerful to me because yeah. I think sometimes we we hold on to those thoughts, right? Like they're teddy totally. bears that us comfort or yeah. something. I have to hold on to it. I have to give it power because it's there. But just bringing some questioning to it can help to remove some of that power. Especially the thoughts that like feel really true. Like yes. the ones where I'm like, absolutely 100. And those are the ones that I especially try to question. And I just like take a step back from. And it's like, huh, like that's really interesting. Like, where is that thought coming from? What part of my, usually my like dysfunctional story is that thought serving, mm -hmm. you know? I mean, and I say all this because normally we don't have an inappropriate relationship with the the better thoughts, right? Normally the thoughts where we're like, I yeah. can do anything and everyone yeah. has my best in their heart, right? Like normally those aren't the thoughts that we're having like a toxic relationship with. Normally it's the ones where we're, you know, it's it's the self-limiting beliefs and it's the judgments of others and it's the judgments in our relationship, right? Normally those are the ones that tend to get in the way. Yes. It's actually funny that you mentioned that because I'm doing EMDR and I asked the therapist, why Why is it that some people are more in fear-based thinking? And then some people like my husband literally has like puppy dog thoughts in his mind all day. Like a huge thing could be coming up that I would consider to be, oh, this is scary or this is and he's like, oh, I'm not, I'm not even thinking about it. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like, you're an insane person. <laughs> yeah, you're an insane person. And so I'm curious, you know, I think some people, maybe they're born that way. Maybe it's nurturing or, or whatever it is. But how does meditation help us to kind of move out of fear-based thinking? Well, you can, so that's called your set point, basically, the way you see the world. And your initial set point for the world is set when you're young, seven or eight years old. And I always like to give the metaphor of like, it's at that moment that the world gives you a set of prescription glasses. And the lens is tinted with 
whatever you were taught. So if you grew up with parents and your community around you and your teachers and your friends saying to you all the time, let's look for the good, right? If you grew up with the community that Anthony did with puppies and rainbows and hearts and possibilities and like there's always a silver lining, then that's the lens that you're gonna see through. And that lens as you get older just gets thicker and thicker and thicker and thicker, which is why it's so hard when you get older into adulthood to change. It's not that if we don't all see puppies and rainbows and possibilities, it's not that we don't wanna see that. It's literally that when we look through our glasses, we see a totally different picture than he does. Mm -hmm. And so if you weren't raised with that lens or you just recognize that there are parts of your story, parts of your conditioning that aren't working, you can do things like meditation to literally change the shape of your brain and change your set point, right? So you can, I like to say that every time you meditate, it's almost like shaving away a layer of that lens until you get it back to the point where you were when you got here, which is puppies and rainbows and possibilities and right. And all the things um, I very much changed a lot of my set point. I grew up very like New York, Irish, like let's just indulge in our misery in a very self-deprecating, jaded, cynical, charming New Yorker kind of way. And at a certain point I realized that that didn't work or feel great. And that I wanted to be more genuine and more authentic and more positive. And, and as I became aware of that intention and I started meditating very naturally, I started to become that person that when you looked around, I saw, okay, like what's not wrong. And like, where can we shift this? And like, how can we get, you know, and, and it happens pretty naturally because you have the ability to return more to that natural state of who you were, you know, as they say, like before the world told you who you should be. Mm -hmm. I love this. You actually said something on your Instagram that has come up between me and my husband a lot because really? you call it a dysfunctional superpower. And for me, the oh, state no. that I'm in is I'm very mindful of my thoughts. But I think what I love what you mentioned is sometimes don't put too much weight. I'll question like, why am I thinking this way? Or you know, my natural tendency is like to overwork and I'm kind of unpacking that, like why, you know, where does that come from? And I have a lot of discussions with my husband because we're always just questioning life and things like if you're in this house and he's like, don't be so hard on yourself because so many of those qualities that you're hard on yourself on is a reason why you switched careers and you were successful. Mm -hmm. You got a business off the ground. And I'm like, I appreciate you sharing that because we could be so hard on ourselves for some yeah. of these dysfunctional personality traits or thought patterns. So I'd love to get your perspective because I love how you called it a dysfunctional superpower. Your dysfunctional superpower. Yeah. So we all have the things that to the extent that we have lived in them don't serve us. So your ability to like focus and put your nose to the grindstone and like have, you know, blinders on to anything other than the thing you're working on to the extent that maybe you've experienced it is an imbalance that you can like rein in. And, and maybe there's some work you do about embracing the idea of rest and like pausing yeah. is not threatening or unsafe, right? So that's something that you can unpack and deal with, but you also have this massive muscle of focus and determination and drive and goal setting and confidence around executing, even if you don't necessarily know everything right away, right? You have all these skills, you know, I, have done a ton of work um, around codependency because I grew up massively codependent and that actually showed up in the relationship that I'm in currently when it was in my life. I was like, oh, like a year in, I 
realized I had very much like relapsed into a codependent pattern with him. And I hadn't been in one in a decade. Um, it's a convenient part of dating people that are non-committal. When you finally do have like a partner, you're like, oh, stuff comes up. Great. Okay. More work. And, yeah. and so I, I had to like dive back into that work. So I think whatever your whatever your like core things are, there's always an opportunity that will come in for you to go deeper into your relationship with that thing. So for you, it might be being a workaholic, right? For me, it might be codependency. And, and to Drew's point, there are gifts that come from those dysfunction. So I'm really attuned to people's needs. I'm really good at anticipating needs. I'm really sensitive to other people's energy. When it's imbalanced, that looks super codependent and unhealthy. When it's balanced, I can hold space and like hold the container of a room and connect with people really quickly and build really authentic rapport. Those are some of my favorite things about myself. So it's not about getting rid of all of you. It's just learning where to like rein in the parts that have gone into the spectrum where it's not necessarily working. So what is codependency? Actually, this is very timely because I oh, know really? this is a tangent, but yesterday me and my coworkers were all talking. They brought up this idea of codependency. A few definitions were thrown around and I said, to this day, I don't know what it is. I don't get yeah. it. The idea that somebody being unhappy or happy impacts our happiness. Mm -hmm. like, yeah, I have that. Like I, if my daughter, <laughs> I have that. <laughs> I'm unhappy, you know, but so it didn't quite add up to me. And I think it's a term that I hear quite often. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious. Yeah. What's the definition? I mean, I don't know the clinical definition, but I think I always define it as, and essentially it goes into equanimity. So like equanimity is the, the, positive side and having, you know, the other end of the spectrum where you have such a grounded sense of yourself and of your center that your, the external waves don't really move the needle too much. Of course, you can be aware and sensitive to others and, and be empathetic or compassionate, but the outside stimulus and, and other people's ripples don't really move your core too much. And then the other end of the spectrum for me is codependency, which is my sense of well-being, my sense of self, my sense of worth. Um, I, you could say my sense of happiness, but I go even deeper than happiness. And it's really like my sense of, of safety and like the level to which I feel okay within myself is directly tethered to either how you're feeling or how you feel in relationship to me. And so that's where you get into that context where all of a sudden I'm walking on eggshells around you to try to manage your feelings. All of a sudden I'm taking ownership over how you feel. All of a sudden I'm abandoning myself, my needs, my wants, my truth in favor of constantly appealing to whatever it is that you might need. Because if you're not good, I'm not good mm. to like yeah. the nth degree. And again, all of those things could be a part of a really healthy relationship, right? Being attuned to your needs and your wants and being flexible, right? All those things in a balanced way could be great. But when, again, when you take it to that extreme, then all of a sudden I'm lost in that yes. you know, yeah. equation. Well, this is a podcast that is primarily for women. And when I hear all those things, I'm like, there has to be a biological, physiological aspect uh -huh. to this. 
starts, I think, just with the fact that we all have wombs mm-hmm. and we carry a child, right? And that child is like dependent on us. Yeah. So I imagine that it almost exists on a spectrum, especially for women. Well, I think women too, especially have categorically been bred to please, you know, like so many women are people pleasers, which is kind of the, I think the step before you become codependent, like yeah. being a people pleaser and, and feeling uncomfortable saying no, feeling uncomfortable letting someone down, feeling uncomfortable disappointing someone, right? So I think I think most women, you know, historically speaking, the sort of stereotype is that we're raised to kind of go with the flow and like move and, and shape shift ourselves to be whatever someone else might need or, right? So I think that's unfortunately, yes, a lot of how we can be bred. Um, and kind of like conditioned. I think there's probably way more codependency with women than there is with men. Oh yeah, for sure. Another thing that you brought up before that I'm really interested in unpacking, especially now that I'm doing a a little bit more of a normal sort of regular therapy is our relationship with the past. Eckhart Tolle said, and it's one of, it's a quote that sticks out to me. I remember all the time. I remember the first time I read it, I was so, it, it baffled me. He said, I rarely have use for the past. I rarely think about it. Something along those lines. And so much of what people unpack through mindfulness, through meditation, through therapy, things come up, right? Things from our past that define us, that form our core beliefs. You said a lot of when we're a childhood, all of that, like in our childhood, a lot of, yeah, that comes up. So what, how do you view a healthy relationship with the past? And at what point does it interfere with our current goals? Yeah, I think we left unregulated do a lot of dysfunctional daydreaming and an unproductive daydreaming. And anytime you move from what's happening right now, you are moving to a moment in time that does not exist, whether that's in your past or in your future. None of those places exist. Your past, of course, did and was a, was a real thing, but isn't there anymore. We can't go there in our bodies. And your future for sure doesn't exist yet and might never exist in the way that you're anticipating it in your mind. So anytime you leave your moment, you are leaving the only place that is real, the only place that you have any tangible power in and going somewhere else. Now, I think there's so much value in looking back and learning. And to your point, looking back, you know, especially in the context of therapy or reflection, you know, journaling, whatever it might be, understanding where you came from, understanding what shaped you, understanding what core experiences have like a foothold in your identity and questioning, like, am I holding on to things that do not need to be in this present moment with me, whether that's an anger or resentment? A lot of times those are the things that get carted with us from moment to moment into our future. And that's great. And I think once you've done that work, it's really powerful to limit yourself to how long you do that, like unproductive daydreaming, you know, and same thing with the future. I'm all for setting yourself up to succeed and looking ahead to plan to, you know, formulate next steps, all that. Once you've done that, looking ahead is oftentimes really unproductive. And sometimes really um, disempowering because, again, not unlike when we talk about getting kind of stuck in the loop of a feeling, we don't normally future pace and get anxious about how great everything is going to work out. I don't think anyone's going down the rabbit hole of like obsessive thinking around how blessed they are and how much money they're going to have and how successful they're going to be and how healthy they're going to be. And right, that's not normally where we go with our mind. So I think 
it's really, really vital to have a lot of discernment around how often you're going to those two places because they're not real and they're taking you out of the thing that is real which is right now and whatever's in front of you right now. That's why when, when people, you know, teachers would say, Deepak Chopra used to say this all the time, we'd be at like a conference and he'd look out and he would say, you know, you're all the most important people to me because you're the only thing that's real. And it's, it's really incredible when you have that mentality and, and when you're with someone that has that kind of presence, you can feel it. When you're with someone that is with you and looking at you and connecting with you as if you're the only thing that exists, cause you are, it's remarkable. Like when you're actually in your time, how long your days feel, how potent mm. each moment feels, how potent your interactions feel, you know, and, and it's because you're not watering down your life by leaving it all the time. Yeah, that's why, you know, playing playing with a kid. Okay, I bet you yeah. notice like when you play with your daughter, time goes slowly, probably yeah. too slowly sometimes, but time <laughs> goes slowly because you're just like there. Wow. You know, like yes. five minutes, if you're in five minutes, if you're in your time, five minutes is like a long time. Yeah. And vice versa. I've definitely been that person, but like being next to someone or near someone whose wheels are just turning and you feel it, right? Oh, like yeah. empath or, you know, you pick up on other people's energies. It, it's like excruciating to be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's palpable. And so that, you know, one of the things that helps with that naturally is, you know, spoiler alert, meditation. I want everyone to meditate, but you know, it, it does change. Um, again, it can change the shape of your brain and change, especially the amount of um, activity in your default mode network, which is a big part of what that monkey mind is where you're kind of ruminating and constantly like leaving the moment and going back and going forward. You know, meditators are just naturally a little bit more present. And then you have the added bonus of the awareness of where you're going so that when you start to unproductively daydream, you can say, oh, wow, I'm doing it and I'm going to come back here. Uh, speaking of Deepak Chopra, he's such a fascinating person to so many of us. And I remember watching a documentary about him and he was about to go on camera and his son asked him, dad, mm -hmm. do you ever get nervous? And he said, what is nervous? Like, what is that? What do you <laughs> And I was like, holy crap, how <laughs> I am so envious of this person right now. Obviously, it comes years and years of practice. But to get to that point where you are so present, you're so in the moment, like you said, he told the crowd, you are the most important people right now. Gosh, I that was like a, a point in my life where I thought somebody could get to that point where they're yeah. like, what? Like, I don't even step out of my radar. Yeah, I think that also comes when you're so locked into dharma, to purpose. And one of the most remarkable things that that I've ever experienced is is being able to teach meditation, talk about meditation and and do this thing that I love doing more than anything else and feeling that flow of energy that comes when you are being in service of your purpose, your dharma, you know, in in Vedic philosophy your dharma is really like a twofold path, one of which is to arrive here and to remember who you are, right? So move beyond your conditioning and, and remember who it is that you really are. And then from that place, ask yourself, how can I serve with mm -hmm. the unique mm -hmm. gifts that I have, you know, been given that have been, you know, uniquely co-created within me? How can I be of service? And when you find an access point to that, it's wild, like the amount of energy and like clarity and focus that can flow through you. And people say, you know, I'm like downloading and, 
you know, being the vessel for the message, right? Like all that stuff casually, no big deal. Um, <laughs> you know, that's a really powerful thing. And it's really hard to feel anything other than that when you are plugged into that. That's why I think it's such an important thing for people to connect with. You know, for so long in my, most of my twenties, I was dying to find what that is. Finally, when I hit 30, I was like, gosh, the one thing that always comes to mind in all my past experiences is women. Why are there yeah. no women in the room? You know, and, and that's kind of how the podcast started and that's how Bia started. And I feel like just being in your Dharma, things started to really open like synchronicities. And I know you call them like mm -hmm. meaningful coincidences. Like this business I can, I have started is truly, there's a higher power. Honestly, we talk about it all yeah. the time. And I think it's so powerful with what you said. So yeah. if someone's listening and I've definitely been there for many years or like, gosh, that sounds so amazing. I want to be in my Dharma. I want to really feel like what really gets me excited and energizes me. What would you tell this person? Like, how do we kind of get clear on what that is for us? I think what's your purpose is a very intimidating question. So I always yeah. say like, don't, don't start with that, you know, True. start with noticing and like auditing your life and your moments for the times when you will always say like, when you lose track of time, the things that like, when you're doing it, you're not watching the clock or asking yourself how much longer the things that, um, for me, the things that when I'm doing it, I instantly feel energized and activated. So regardless of how I felt going into it, I have infinitely more energy. I don't know how long we've been talking, but for however long we've been on this, infinitely more energy than I did before this started when I was doing work and answering emails. I'm instantly like activated and plugged into something that feels like it's fueling me. The thing that I, the, the things that you want to do and talk about and, you know, be in more than anything else. I always say like, those are really good access points to a sense of purpose. And also understand that Dharma is going to take a lot of different shapes and forms in your life. It's not one thing and it absolutely does not need to be how you make a living. I think right now yeah. it looks really sexy to like have your Dharma be the thing or to feel like you need to make it into like your side hustle and monetize it. And that absolutely does not need to be the case. So I always say like, remember that. Yeah, I, I remember talking to a friend of mine who, for me, I feel that my Dharma, I've been so fortunate that it's all kind of connected, my career, my community, everything has kind of come together. But somebody who I'm really close friends with said, I don't really feel it's tied to my career. My career is just one thing. My yeah. Dharma is my community. I am here to yeah. be like the best possible friend and supporter and like build that community. So it could look like so many different things a hobby, relationships, yeah. whatever it is, it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, there doesn't have to be that monetary attachment. Yeah. And I think it can distill down to being able to do your Dharma anywhere. So your friend could build community in line at Sweetgreen, you know, like it doesn't have to be, I'm yeah. planning community events and I'm right. Like to your point, it can, it can filter and seep out into anything. You know, I connect with a sense of Dharma around helping people remember who they really are. And that can be in a conversation in a lift ride. And it could be giving a talk in front of thousands of people. And both of those are equally in service of that Dharma. Yes. Yeah. And I think this is actually really powerful for people who struggle with anxiety too. In functional medicine, there's we recognize that anxiety is multifactorial. There could be some sort of nutrient deficiency. There could be something going on with the thyroid. There's so many different 
things that can come up. But I think a question that could be really powerful for people who are struggling with anxiety is asking what's their dharma and asking, how can I serve, right? Because yeah. just that simple question can take you out of your own yeah. head. And that's not to say, oh, focus on other people, don't focus on yourself. It's really important to do all the work for yourself too. But sometimes just putting the focus on like, how can, what gifts can I offer to the world takes me personally out of like my own bullshit. Yeah. And I think modern day spirituality has gotten a little stuck in the first part of Dharma, which is, you know, remembering who I am and uncovering and, and you know, revealing my truest self. We're not becoming our like best selves to just live in our own like bettered bubble. You know what I mean? Like we're doing that work on ourselves so that we can then go and be in the world as that in service of the world. So I think it's easy to get stuck in that first part, which is like, let me reflect on myself and, you know, connect on like who I am and what I want and what's going to activate me. And that's great. And to your point, self-care and doing that self-work is really important. But the whole point of doing all of that is so that you can then go be a bigger, brighter, more expansive version of yourself in the world to be in service of others. And I think in, in our, especially in the US, like it's so easy to get caught up in like, okay, great. I'll just keep leveraging my potency to make more money, to be as healthy as I can be, to live as long as I can to, right. And I think that's such a misstep because to your point, one of the fastest ways to feel happier and less anxious and, and better in general is to help other people feel all of those things. Yeah. So well said. It's important to not get stuck on that first part of the equation. Yeah. I love that. I have like a million questions in this conversation. I feel like we could talk for hours, but one, and and it's interesting because, you know, all of this kind of goes down to being mindful of like your actions and how you feel. And one topic that, you know, even with the Dharma, but one topic that I think is interesting, and it's something that I've gotten a lot better with is really like understanding, are your desires coming from you or other people? For so long, I killed it in life because of what other people told me what success was. And I was playing that game really well. And then I woke up one day or no, woke up many days. I still worked for a long time before I figured it out. And I was like, oh my gosh, this doesn't bring me happiness. And I'm completely not filling my desires at all. So I just love it because you talk a lot about this. So I don't know where that will take you in your response, but I think it's important for us to talk about because it's so easy to get stuck into what other people think we should be doing. And I really want women to honor like what brings them alive in their own desires. That's like the biggest gift I want everyone to. Well, and talk about like being a people pleaser. And again, especially women, unfortunately fall into that category of like, well, what I want is what you want. And oftentimes that's a massive lie. (laughs) What I want is really like totally different. And I just don't want to prioritize that. And so again, you can be, um, you can be conscious and you can be considerate of other people and, also still be really honoring of who you are and your truth and, and what it is that you really want. I really like to ask myself, why do I want what I want? So when I, when I connect with something with a desire, whether it's something little or something bigger, I'll always ask myself, why do I want this? And, and I'll use the, um, the Neil Donald Walsh hack of, is this desire being sponsored by love or fear, mm, which is always like a good one. And I generally, as you can imagine, try to stay away from the, the ones that are driven by a sense of fear. Um, mm-hmm. And, and I think if you can, you can ask yourself, like, why do I want this? If it has anything to do with anyone else, then you just 
look at that and you notice that and you acknowledge it and say, okay, does that feel okay? Or does that feel like I'm abandoning myself? And again, it doesn't mean you can't be um, in cooperation with others or flexible, but, um, but yeah, it's really easy to manifest desires that don't belong to you and mistaken them as your own and then feel really empty on the other. I think so many people experience that, you know, so many people, you know, create the family and get the house and the car and the vacation home and the summer in Italy. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh, but I'm still, it turns out really unfulfilled. And I think that's even Mm -hmm. worse, right? When you do all of that and with the expectation of, oh, this is going to make me feel this thing. And, and then it doesn't. And so I think too, it's important to recognize that your external is not the greatest source of the thing you're looking for, right? It's not the greatest source of happiness or joy or abundance or love, right? All of those things exist within you first and foremost. And that's why when we do things like meditation, just casually mention that one more time, is like a practice that we should all be doing. Um, The more we do things like that and connect with our inner world Mm. and our ability to see those things everywhere as a reflection, we become less desperate to acquire them as, as a piece that's going to complete the puzzle, right? Cause you're already, you already have all the pieces. You're already complete and everything externally gets to be this beautiful reflection and this beautiful, you know, expression of it that we get to experience and play with in this human form. But none of those external things are the source, including, oh, by the way, like wisdom, you know, mm. and, and sort, you know, I remember when I first started meditating, I was so like, I'm going to, especially cause I started very quickly working for Deepak Chopra. So I had access to like the best of the best people. And I'd be like, Oh, I'm going to read your book and I'm going to listen to you. And like, you have the answer you, it's kind of like a, like that kid's book. Are you my mother? Right. It's like walking around being like, do you have the answer? Do you know who I am? Do you know what life is about? Right. And ultimately you, you know, get, you get enough card readings and you get enough past life regressions and you read enough books and, and then you recognize that you have your answers and it's not about acquiring anything. It's about tuning into what you already have and who you already are and what you already know. And once you connect with that, then everything outside of you gets to be, you know, maybe an access point to it, maybe a way that you get to enjoy it in a a more human way or a a way that, um, that it gets to show up in a different form, but ultimately it's all always you. Mm -hmm. I love that because I actually think it's easier to follow other people's like recommendations or thoughts or even like minor stuff with my husband. He'll, will be like, Oh, I have, you know, we're both obviously social people. We have a lot of friends and family and he'll pop out and go see someone. And he's like, do you want to come? And I'm like, Oh, do you want me to come? He's like, you need to think about, do you want to come? And he always, he will never tell me what to do. And Mm -hmm. he always pushes back that question. And I sit there and I'm like, I actually don't know. And I don't know to figure out because it all lives within us, but it's easier if someone's like, Oh yeah, I go do this. I'm like, okay, sure. But like, if we can all practice that muscle, it's really good. And you know, and, um, it definitely is something I've worked on a lot. I've come a long way, but it's still something I'm like, Oh, that's a great point. What do I feel? Do I want to be there? Do I want to have this conversation? Should we do this in business? Like it's so powerful to practice that muscle. So I love what you just said. And it's, you know, again, so often that like people pleasing muscle gets so much validation from doing the thing that someone else wants you to do and doing it really well and seeing their response. And that's, 
that's what you plug into for your sense of worth. And, and that's why it can just be such a slippery slope between, um, between that, that casual, like, oh yeah, I'll do whatever you want. Or yeah, I'll do that. If you want me to do that, I'll go do that with you between that harmless, like thing. And all of a sudden, every time I need to feel good about myself, I have to plug into someone else's outlet and get a charge from them. So I like to say that every time you meditate, you, you plug into yourself, you know, and you become like the ultimate charge and then everything else is just extra. Yes. Yeah. You know, I've had the privilege of attending a few meditations led by you when we were, when I was living in LA. And I mean, I just will toot your horn for a second because I think you're <laughs> like, I've never resonated with somebody with a meditation teacher more in my life. I feel like you have this balance of being grounded and being present, but also bringing in the humor and bringing in the femininity. It just, I think really resonates with me. And so I don't want to put you on the spot, but I wonder if you're open to kind of leading us through maybe a few minutes. No, but I think it would be a really uh, powerful to offer our community. Totally. Just like a casual, like 40 minute. Is that good? (laughs) (laughs) Hours. (laughs) No. Yeah. Let's do it. Let's do a couple minutes. 100%. Always, always. You don't have to give me an excuse to meditate. Um, So if you are, I know a lot of people listen to podcasts, not sitting still like I am, but if you are sitting still, let's just close our eyes. If you are driving or walking, you can absolutely do this with your eyes open and you can always come back and listen to it again if you want to do it with your eyes closed to get that experience as well. But just beginning to notice what you notice and I'll invite you to be in that role as the observer without any judgment, without anything about this moment that you're in needing to be different in order to be better. And so just start to notice sound that you hear without any judgment, let your mind label it. The sound of Megan's voice, sound of my breath, sounds in your environment. And already begin to notice how much more potent your present moment is just by getting quiet and dropping into that witnessing awareness. Start to become aware of any physical sensation. If you're sitting down, it might be the feeling of your body being supported by a chair or cushion. If you're walking, it might be the sensation of your feet hitting the ground. Maybe you can tune in a little bit more and notice the texture of clothing on your body, the temperature in the air, the sensation of your breath. And I'll invite you to land your awareness with the sensation of each inhale and each exhale. Just start by feeling the sensation of your breath at the tip of your nose. Find your breath there. Find your breath within your upper abdomen, that subtle expansion and contraction. And finally land where you feel your breath at the center of your chest, 
finding the feeling of that rise and fall. And then just for a moment here, become aware of that space that exists after you exhale, but before you take that next breath in. Find that moment after you exhale, but before you take that next breath in and just notice how much stillness resides in that space without you having to do anything, without anything changing about your external world. This reservoir of peace, of stillness, waiting to invite you in every 1.2 seconds as you breathe. With the next few breaths, as you find your way to that space between, just offer a silent, affirming, I am home. In that space between, I am home. With all that in mind, take a long, slow, deep breath in. Sigh everything out. If you had your eyes closed, gently opening them, arriving back in your moment. Two little meditators, no big deal. <laughs> now I feel so calm. I've never done it on a podcast. Yes. That's oh, really good. Good. Thank you so much Mike, for jumping on here and talking about this is this is like my favorite topic everything that we've been discussing so I'm really excited about this episode and thank you for being here with us. I'm so happy to be here. I'm thrilled to jump in anytime you want to geek out about synchronicities and purpose and all the things codependency <laughs> all the things all the things thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Behind Her Empire. If you enjoyed this conversation, it would mean the world to me if you would consider leaving a review or even sharing this episode with someone who might be inspired to create their own empire. To stay updated on new episodes or join our private community, visit BehindHerEmpire.com to sign up. We send inspiring and short emails every week to your inbox. I'll see you next week. And until then, remember, you're always in charge of your own destiny and it's never too late to start your own empire.